Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah, there's lots of reality here. Five (laughs) times the reality. (laughs) And so much below the surface. Yes. (laughs) Welcome to episode 198. And And our season nine. Yes, that's right. The first episode of season nine. We're, we're halfway there, Julie. 18 <laughs> is our goal, right? No. <laughs> oh my gosh, I better count the books and movies I have on my list That's right. and see if that'll work. I'm definitely running out. Send suggestions, people. No, I, I'm fine. Yep. I, oh, I, I need more them. than I need. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you do. Oh, that's great. Um, and so what better way to start a new season and a new year than a book about a place that's got a five-god theology that's system? That's right. Five gods. We're going full pagan. That's right. (laughs) The Curse of Chalion by Lois McMaster Buzold. And um, man, it was terrific. Thank you for picking this book already. Yeah. 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 I gave it five stars on Goodreads. Mm. And um, I I saw your review and you said, ah, it should be like four and a half. And And I do agree with that because I think it was a little slow starter. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, at about chapter four or five, I was thinking, oh my gosh, there's a lot of chapters here and <laughs> it's going pretty slow right now. But then all of a sudden it was just, it was a pleasure to get back to every time. Um, you know, I, I was looking for times to get this read, so That's I didn't, didn't have any problem too. finishing it. Well, and for me, I remember the first time I read it, I got past chapter four and maybe to when they're at the castle the with all the royalty Hmm. and um i was like oh my gosh this is never going anywhere and so for me more toward the middle was a bit slow and i almost quit but a couple people who i really like said no no this is an amazing book so i kept Hmm. going and i was so glad because my goodness what an adventure and I was really surprised to see what a theological book it was in in the midst of the adventure. Yeah, me too. Um, this religion is an integral part of what's happening. So there's, yeah, five gods, and um, they call them Quintarians. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's Because there's another empire that only acknowledges four of the gods. Hmm. Those jerks. <laughs> <laughs> and they talk about those squares, you know, oh, man. <laughs> the <Yeah>. square people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it was terrific. I'm so glad. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the basic story is that, and I haven't, did you listen to the audio book? I did. I, I was bouncing between audio and um, the text. Okay, I've only read it, so I mm. could be saying things wrong. For instance, I thought it was Chalion, not Chalion. So mm. I was off to a bad start. So Gazareel, <laughs> is that his name? Yeah, yeah. He, he, we meet him, and he is a poor beggar by the side of the road and trying to work his way to a place where he thinks he could maybe ask for a fairly lowly job, but one that'll kind of get him back on his feet again. And. This is, this author does not waste time. She just launches us right into the story. Soldiers are coming along. He's mm-hmm. having to beg. 
he encounters something that tells us a little something about the theological system of the world. And then he's given a job in a castle. And so we're launched into this royal family's life. And essentially, he becomes a tutor slash consultant, would you say, mm-hmm. or advisor, trainer? Yeah, sometimes they call him a secretary. That's it. They yeah. call him a secretary, but he was kind of teaching this teenage royal princess how to how to think and act as an adult in terms of her position mm-hmm. and other people around her in the political world. And they they really just wanted him to kind of help her get settled down. But as part of his nature, he's starting to give advice. And then it turns out her brother is the king. Hmm. Or is it her brother? Her half-brother? Um, yeah, it, it, it is a little bit confusing there. But yeah, I think that um, it is her brother. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, at some point, the king is not very well. And he, they called them to come on in and meet, get set in court and do all these things. And that's the part I found slow. But what happens is essentially that you get enmeshed in the political situation because it's also very dense politically. And you learn there are different factions trying to control the king. There's a curse on the king. It turns out nobody knows about this, but the secretary mm-hmm. has a real finds it out. And it's because of something to do with these five gods. And he winds up in trying to take care of the princess, becoming deeply enmeshed in the whole thing. I'm trying to think how they describe it in the back of the book. Only by employing the darkest, most forbidden of magics can Kazariel hope to protect his royal charge, an act that will mark him as a tool of the miraculous and trap him in a lethal maze of demonic paradox. Hmm. Which is probably about as good of a description as you can get. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a certain point in the book where, you know, there's supernatural things that start to occur and... Um, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it's really cool when that starts to happen. Uh, you know, I just got even more into it. But even before that, I was really, um, really interested in all the intrigue that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kazaril was betrayed, uh, which is why he ended up as a beggar, but he was a soldier and yeah. very well regarded. And he was discarded by, sort of betrayed by somebody. And, um, so at the very opening of the book, you know, he's walking across the land to get to a place where he knows somebody knows him. Um, you know, so he, he's dressed as a beggar and everything because that's all he has. Um, yeah, and he was a, it, you find out very early on, he'd been a galley slave for some yeah, time. Yeah, like 19 months. Yeah, and suffered terribly under right. that, and nobody knew where he was. They thought he was dead. Yeah. So, um, so you've got all that intrigue. You've got the royal intrigue around the princess because the king is not well, and everybody can kind of see it. Hmm. You've got um, people trying to manipulate the king, people trying to marry the princess and manipulate her. So he's trying to guide her through all this, and it's in trying to protect her that he becomes – well, as it says, you know, he's trying to protect her. So he's doing this dark magic and it, in a way it backfires and in a way it works, but hmm. in the way that it backfires, he finds himself becoming a direct tool of the gods in essence. 
And he's not exactly a specific tool of the gods that they're pushing him around, Mm -hmm. but the circumstances he finds himself in forces him closer and closer and closer to cooperating with what the gods want and trying to understand who they are, Mm -hmm. I think you could say. Yeah, yeah. And it's in this that this author who has this complex theological system is so honest about her world. She is not afraid to follow things through to their logical conclusions. And so you wind up having several conversations where people say, well, the gods put you on this path, so you'd be here to do this thing. And he's like, well, then what about my free will? Mm -hmm. So you're getting all these questions raised that are the questions we ourselves ask as Christians. Mm, yeah. Because it's that dual thing of, yes, there is God's plan, and he will put things in place for you, but are you going to cooperate with it? That's the free will part. So, that's all in play at the same time as you're talking about the five gods and the very exciting mission and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, um, I hope I haven't drained the life out of it in my <laughs> description because it is a heck of an adventure. It's very exciting. Yeah. All the things they go through to keep this princess from being hurt and and get her to being in power the way she needs to be. Yep. Yep. I agree. That's a good uh, summary. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> yep. Lots of political intrigue and lots of supernatural stuff going on and uh, lots of implications of this five God theology. And really well-written characters. I mean, you care about these people. Yeah. Or you hate them, depending mm-hmm. But it's exciting yeah. in that way. Agreed. Yeah. And he's also going through, you know, this is in, in a, it's a romantic trope, I guess. You know, he's the 35-year-old man who's interested in the 19-year-old girl. And he's like, oh, no, I'm way too old. Oh, no. You know, <laughs> I'm so plain. Oh, no. And it's kind of like you took, you took the typical girl's role of, oh, I'm so awkward and I'm so plain. <laughs> and I'm so, <laughs> put it on this 35-year-old guy. Yeah. You yeah. know, it was but it was well done. Yeah, you I cared. thought so too. I thought so too. I, I liked that aspect of it too. You know, and he was damaged as well. You yes. know, he was, you know, so he had that going as well. I'm not good enough for her. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah, and look at the baggage I bring to this. Mhm. Whole thing. And um so I was wondering too because it's all written from his point of view, but it's by a woman and mm-hmm. it felt right to me. So as a man reading it, it felt authentic yeah it felt great to me i, I never yeah. questioned that well that's what i thought yeah. but mm-hmm. i'm just curious sure yeah i'm anxious to get at the details <gasps> all right okay yeah. <laughs> let's do it you betcha can so uh yeah if you want to read this spoiler free now's your time yep and uh, it's, it's highly totally recommended read it. highly recommended yeah, just ignore that slow part. I had to push my mother past it. <laughs> I had to push one of my mm-hmm. daughters at least past it. All this stuff. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. And I had to push myself past it. So, there you go. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Me too. I can't yeah. believe it's been six years since I read it. I've, wow. I've got to read it more often. Yeah. Yeah. And Lois McMaster Bujold's a very well-regarded author, too. If you haven't heard of her, she's she's won multiple awards. Um, in fact, it's almost like everything she writes is considered for awards and um i think this thing won the world fantasy award or something like that maybe Uh, i think it was nominated i know that the follow-up book to this which is also excellent paladin of souls won the hugo award okay so this one won the mythio mythopoic 
I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> Myth, Mythopoic Fantasy Award for Adult Literature. And that's the oh. kind of thing that, like, you know, the C.S. Lewis type stuff mm-hmm. would win. Um, yeah, like The Crystal Cave by Mary Stewart. This is some yes. of the winners. Seventh Son by Orson Scott Card. Right. Uh, Tim Powers has won it. So this is that kind of stuff. Um, you know, Neil Gaiman, um, that kind of thing. Well, so, and she, um, but yeah, so she's, she's in good uh, company with that. Uh, yeah, so she's known for really more for her other series, which is uh, I don't know how to say the last name. Miles Vorkosigan. Oh, Vorkosigan. Vor- 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 again. Vor- again. I yeah. got it mixed. I got them transposed. But yeah, so that's a uh, space opera, right? Yes, uh-huh. and I've read um, just two of those actually. Yeah, okay. two of those, and my wife absolutely loves them. So she's, and my son both, you know, they both read all of them and there's probably like 14 or 15 of those books. And at uh, least and yeah. everybody loves them. I've tried them mm-hmm. and they're just, I don't know why, cause I love her writing, but she, those have not grabbed me mm-hmm. after I read this, I tried some. And then recently again, I tried some, but, um, in this, this is called, I think, The World, The Five Gods World. Once she did more than mm. one or two, and they wanted a name for a series, The World of Five Gods or yeah. whatever. So there's this one, Paladin of Souls, um, The Hallowed Hunt, maybe is the third one. Yeah. And I did not really care for that one. I wasn't able to really read it. And, but then she's got a series of novellas also set in this world mm. Penric and the Demon series. And there cool. might be four, yeah. five, six of those. And those are really, I enjoy those a lot. Where do yeah. those take place in the timeline? Is it after? They're earlier or? than this. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. They. I think I was reading that they're about 150 years before this. Okay. And it's essentially, it's not a spoiler to say the first one called Penric and the Demon is he inadvertently tries to help somebody when he's on his way to meet his promised wife. And this person's dying and the demon that had been inhabiting her jumps to him. Oh. So, and that's uh, one of the premises of this, that this book sets up is, you know, demons can try to inhabit people. Can do that, yeah. And it's how do you win the wrestling match with the demon. Right. Can you control it or not and be yourself or just be crazy? Yeah. So, the (laughs) novellas are about, he started, gets, he has a relationship with a demon that's not usual. Wow. Because cool. he's not the kind of person they would usually pick. He's not a holy person or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, so. cool. Yeah. Anyway, they're they're good. It. They're enjoyable. Yeah, great. They're not like this book, you know, or mm-hmm. the second book. Mm-hmm. Which are more complex stories. Okay, yeah. I'm looking forward to Paladin of Souls. Highly recommended as well, I take it. Oh yes. In yep. fact, I wanted to start reading it right after this one and I was I'm waiting until we finish talking because I didn't want to get my memories of both books intertwined mm. and mixed up. Cool. Okay, we'll hurry. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk faster. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. So. Yes. So yeah, Casarel, first of all, um, I really just from the onset, that first chapter. I loved it, uh, you know, where, you know, all the stuff that she was able to throw in there, like, you know, just um, in such a short space, I was just really impressed um, with how it opened. So the first chapter is not, I, w- I wouldn't call that slow, but, you know, you felt, <laughs> no. you felt like, you know, something, you feel like, you know, he's somebody, you know that he's somebody that is um, highly regarded and is not normally in the garb that he's got. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you know, like this guy, he, they asked these soldiers ask him directions and he says, yeah, it's that way. And, um, they, you know, mockingly, they're going to throw him a coin and they accidentally, the, the horse moves and he accidentally drops a gold coin, uh, and expects Kazarel to jump into the mud for it. And Kazarel just doesn't, you know, I, I just enjoyed how that worked. And also the way you knew Kazril was more than a beggar because he understood the way the soldiers thought much too well. Mm-hmm. He knew that the soldier was like, damn it, I didn't want to give him that much money. And so he waits until they leave. So he has his dignity, but he gets the coin and then he hides because the soldier sends back a servant to get the coin. Yeah. <laughs> where nobody will see. And he knew he kind of had a feeling he was going to do that. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, and then there's you dump, jump right into the theological stuff because he goes to the house or the barn or where he's going to um, shelter. That's right. Yeah. He finds a dead body, mm-hmm. and then they realize, oh wait, because of the way this body is, was it because it was swelled up or something like that? But it was unnatural, mm. and he, and there was maybe a crow hanging, a dead crow and a dead rat. And the way the body was lying, he said, oh, my gosh, he was trying to work death magic. Hmm. Wow. And mm-hmm. dedicated to the bastard. And you're like, I don't even, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, you kind of yeah. have to let it just wash over you a little and kind of learn about the world that way, which I enjoy books that are like that. Yeah, in fact, I had forgotten about that connection until you just mentioned it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, that event in my memory of it is, you know, him taking the clothes from the guy and uh, the farmer's going to burn the whole building down that this guy was in because, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't want any part of this. And uh, Kazarel's like, yeah, what are you going to do with his clothes? You know, I could have those <laughs> if, if that'd be all right. So he takes that. But then um, when he gets he helps the, him dispose of the body. Yeah, yeah, right. And he helps him dispose of the body, which the, the farmer appreciated. Right. And um, then with those clothes, he goes and his gold, you know, he goes to the town where he's headed and, he, he pays to have his clothes washed, and then he goes to a bath. He has enough money to get himself cleaned up, but um, he's got all these uh, whip marks on his back. He's, he is completely covered in scars on his back, and as he's soaking in this luxurious hot bath for about two seconds, this um, boy sees his scars and goes and gets the owner, and the owner assumes that um, this person has been whipped because he is a molester of children and kicks him out of his establishment. Right. And it just based on, you know, no factual information, just, uh, you know, makes his assumption. Because th- that's commonly what's done to people that are molesters of children. There was another reason, too, that they did that. But they asked no, I him. I couldn't remember. remember what it was. But... But anyway, so his scars tell people that he's somebody that he's not. Well, and it's interesting, too, because that scene is used to kind of also put you in the mindset of that society. Mm. So you kind of automatically then realize you're supposed, I mean, you're not thinking about it, but it, what it does is say, this isn't a modern society where they're going to give you a chance to talk about it. They make their assumptions, they judge you. And they act accordingly. And so it's more of a medieval mindset um, where, you know, unless you're a super high level person in society, 
this is just how you function. Mm -hmm. And he is then shamed by it. Yeah. yeah. He wants to explain. They won't listen to him. They just kick him out. And so then the whole rest of the book, anytime that somebody might see his back, he remembers that. Mm. And he's worried and he won't, you know, like put himself in that position again. Yeah. Which is not something that you expect from somebody who's the hero of the story and a smart guy and who understands different points of view. In a lot of stories, he would be kind of self-righteous and judging of them. Right. And he does know that they're wrong, but he's like regular people. He wants to fit in. He wants them to understand. He doesn't want to be judged for something he's not. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is important to remember here that he's just coming off of 19 months in the galley, right? Yeah. So, he's he's not quite right. I mean, right. not only physically, but mentally. Right. Um, he is not the confident soldier that he probably was when 19 months ago. Oh, yeah, because he's mm. hoping for a fairly low-level job from these people who he once knew. Mm -hmm. And instead, once the the household, um, well, I guess it's the woman of the house. There's no man of the house, but she's the Provencara? Provencara? Yeah, prov proven yeah. Provence Provencara, yeah. <laughs> I liked the names that she, the titles. Uh, mm -hmm. Provencara is probably like you would usually say a lady or a duchess or something like that. But but it's, you can see it's based on province. Mm -hmm. This is the person who's running this province, you know, right. in charge of it. Yeah. Or the king, or the princess is a roya mm -hmm. uh, or royess. Sorry, yeah. Roya would be. So it's 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 a great foreign kind of a word, but it still tells us who know English exactly where their position is. Right. So anyway, um, yeah, and she knows him, or you know, she's talking to him, and she's, oh, help, I'll help you, and all this stuff, because he, he is well regarded, and she sees his value just in the conversation that's happening about something, and she's like, oh, you would have done this, and you would think of it this way, and what would you advise? Okay, here's what I want you to do, and she gives him a position that's far above anything he hoped for as the secretary, right. So, yeah, so he's basically taking care of or teaching, you know, like you, you called him a tutor earlier, mm -hmm. but dealing with all of the court business for um, this princess. Yeah. Right? This Roya. Yeah, 16-year-old princess. Yeah, and it's not usually the kind of position you would put a former galley slave in charge no, of. You so. would, you, this is somebody who you, you would trust implicitly. You, you know, that, yeah. that's got to be an extremely trustworthy person. Right. For that position. And he, he definitely proves himself worthy later. Yeah. And um, most of the things that I found interesting about the book were actually to do with the re way religion is handled in the book. But there is a statement that's made pretty far in on page 340 of my paperback version, which this um, real exemplifies Events may be horrible or inescapable. Men always have a choice, if not whether, then how they may endure. Hmm. And yeah. it's how he bears himself in spite of these misfortunes. And as we find out later, even when he's a galley slave, the way he conducted himself made a difference Absolutely. in the outcome of the story. Yeah, yeah. You know, he didn't know. He didn't know. And so, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. one of the, the great truths that we recognize in this character and that you always like to see. You know, it's, it's horrible things happen because that's part of the point of a story is, ooh, you know, it's not slow. But 
what shows us the character of somebody is how they conduct themselves no matter what. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And he uh, he acts, the, the reason that he's so um, damaged is the way he acted in protection of a young man mm-hmm. who was sitting next to him, you know. And, a uh, galley slave. And again, another galley slave, yep. And uh, he, he acted to protect him and got the crap kicked out of him for, you know, by the by the slave owners, right? Yeah, I think he almost died. <laughs> he almost died, right. Mm-hmm. And he ended up in a hospital. And, um, you know, it was after the hospital that he was walking across the land. So he's still right. pretty fresh, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I love it. So, so yeah, so he's put in charge of these two, uh, well, I say two girls. It's really, he's in charge of the uh the princess, but the princess has a friend. I don't know what you'd call the other girl. I think she's she's an older. Well, I mean, she's nineteen instead of sixteen. Beatrice, yeah, right? Beatrice, yeah. And um, she's I think just supposed to be like you know a companion, right? Best and friend. It felt like her also <laughs> felt like mm-hmm. she was a best friend, someone who was hanging around all the time. Yeah, I don't know that she had an official job. Yeah, but she was just always there. So. Um, yeah, so once things get settled just a little bit, um, off they go to another town. I can't remember the name of the town that they go to, but it's where the king is. Mm-hmm. And um, so him, Kazarel, and the, the two girls go to there, and then that's where stuff really starts to pick up. Um, yeah. Yeah, because um, now he, you know, they, uh, he's meeting people that had betrayed him. Um, right, which is tough, and they and know they, who he is, and they know they who he like is. Yeah, to continue betraying him, <laughs> right? And they're in power, and uh, he's got a 16 year old princess that people want to marry, and um, you know, for consolidation of power and things like that. Which well, is and very she's difficult. got an older brother, yep. so actually, I'd forgotten because he's mm-hmm. not really very prominent. He's not; we don't see him much. He's just, you know, a boy who'd like to go hunt, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe he's not older, but he's the male. Yeah, he's the male, right? And so he would be the next in line, and he's just, you know, he's typical. He would like to go hunting. He doesn't want to study. He gets to court, and he's never had that much attention given to him, and so his head is turned by it. It's all the worst elements who also hate Kazarel. Who yeah. are influencing him and his his secretary, whose heart is in the right place, but he doesn't have as much influence over the brother mm-hmm. as uh, Kazareel does over Isel, who is the princess. Yeah. So um, that's a whole bit of a subplot that leads us into the big problem in the story. Yeah, and and the big problem in the story is this vile man. Uh, talks the king into giving him this princess and saying, okay, we're going to get married tomorrow or, you know, within a couple days or something like that. And uh, Kazaril and her, you know, they're, they're doing everything they can to figure out how a way out of this. And then it gets down kind of to the last straw where there's nothing left that he can think of to do except for, make the move that he did which is was the dark magic yeah it's a death magic right the same thing we saw in the beginning yeah Mm -hmm. the thing that was interesting is um 
the person who had done that death magic at the beginning and died because of it showed the result. You wish death on someone, you die too. Mm-hmm. So you can't just go around doing this with impunity. Yeah, and, gonna, and it seems be serious. it seems somehow that a god needs to agree to it or something because he was specifically aiming for the bastard for the bastard god. who is the name of a god. Yeah, we, we yeah. should mention the gods were so uh, the yeah. father and the mother and the son and the daughter and the bastard. It's the father and the son, the mm-hmm. lady and the daughter, okay, mm-hmm. and the bastard. Yeah, got it. And mm-hmm. the bastard is the one that the the kingdom, the empire, who doesn't get mentioned once, that only believes in the four gods. They don't believe in the bastard. <laughs> right. so, mm-hmm. And the bastard is the one who is, he's kind of like the wild card. Yeah. You know, he is the one where when things are going wrong, the bastard may be influencing things, or you may pray to the bastard that, wow, everything's nuts. Mm-hmm. Help me out here. Yeah. And that's why, you know, all the different um, gods have their different, you know, animals that are identified with them and their times of year and all this sort of thing. And for the bastard, it's always like a rat and a crow. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, or a seagull at one point. They, oh, yeah, the seagull's dedicated to the bastard. Because mm-hmm. at one point, when Kezaril's going, he's like, why, are, why is the flock of crows just watching me and not saying anything? This is really creepy. Go away. <laughs> and they're like, no, we're just going to sit here and watch you. And it's like, oh, the bastard's at, around somewhere. Mm-hmm. He's got mm-hmm. his mark on you. Right. And they don't manifest in the world. It's just like us with mm-hmm. our real God, which yeah. is... You know, it's through intimations, it's through looking backwards and suddenly going, oh my goodness, here's the way I was going and it all led up to this thing which needs to be done. Yeah, yeah. And so, in that way, it's very real. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the people that Kazaril meets when he comes to the royal court is, um, he's called a saint. Yeah, Umagat, Umagat. Umagat? Yeah. Okay. And he's a saint of the bastard, right? Uh, You know, I don't remember. Pretty sure. Pretty sure he was. Okay. But one of the things that struck me is they have a conversation because you can become a saint and then it can be taken away. So, which is kind of an interesting (laughs) idea. You know, it's basically the gods are using you and you're acquiescing to it in more conscious fashion. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they don't need you anymore. Yeah. So there you go. Hmm. And but he's a saint. And so that was one of the things that interested me is he's talking about this. And let me find the spot. Because Casareal is saying, Oh, but you know, I, I guess you I guess you're real virtuous, you know. That sounds terrible. Mm-hmm. And um he he does say no, in fact, one need not be good or even nice. Umagat looked wry of a sudden. Grant you, once one experiences what one experiences, taste, one's tastes change. Material ambition seems immaterial. Greed, pride, vanity, wrath just grow too dull to bother with. Lust, Kazriel says. Umagat brightened. Lust, I'm happy to say, seems largely unaffected. <laughs> or perhaps I might grant love. Mm. For the cruelty and selfishness that make lust vile become tedious. But personally, I think it is not so much the growth of virtue as simply the replacement of prior vices with an addiction to one's God. Hmm. And then it says, the gods love their great-souled men and women as an artist loves fine marble, but the issue isn't virtue, it is will, which is chisel and hammer. Hmm. And so, Hmm. then they're starting to talk about free will. 
Right. Yeah. And he says, men's will is free. The gods may not invade it any more than I may pour wine into this cup, which is upside down, through its bottom. And um, says he says, have you really understood how powerless the gods are when the lowest slave may exude them, exclude them from his heart? And if from his heart, then from the world as well, for the gods may not reach in except through living souls. If the gods could seize passage from anyone they wished, then men would be mere puppets. Only if they borrow or are given will from a willing creature do they have a little channel through which to act. So, Mm -hmm. that's one of those places where you read it and you go, yeah, Mm -hmm. this is correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not, Not all the gods, but this idea of how do you interact with God and God giving you free will is so paramount because otherwise you're just a puppet. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, later on it, you know, Kazarul is, he actually becomes a little bit distraught. Um, cause there's something that happens. Well, I mean, we're in spoiler territory. So when yeah. he later on in the book, he meets the, the kid that he had protected yeah. on the galley and after that encounter, he comes away from that thinking, you know, has my whole life been <laughs> like I was a chess piece on a board, yeah. you know, this entire time? Am I nothing but an automaton that just does the will of whatever God there is? And, um, yeah, it was really interesting to think about because we think about that, too. I mean, that that's what makes it so good is that, you know, these are thoughts that that I've had, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about that kind of stuff, you know, is this really happening? Is it real? Am I just a machine, <laughs> you know, or am yeah. I, am I, you know, fulfilling this will by, by saying yes at the moment? You know? Now where the, yeah. And where the book winds up is, is also kind of part of this longer conversation he has earlier on because you're right because then the whole way through every time he finds something where it goes oh well this far back this thing happened and that's what led to all these things and he goes oh that path and then he finds out oh crud even further back this thing happened Hmm. even further back before i was a galley slave i laid down and vowed to follow any god who would get my men out free Hmm. and he says what happened nothing oh it started to rain so he got up and went back to his duty and he goes, but you know what? His men got to go free. He goes, but I didn't. I was set on another path and he became a galley slave because of the betrayal. Mm-hmm. But he at that point had said, I'll follow any God who will get me free, which turned out to be the bastard as it yeah. turns out. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, and he's like that path again. And, but early on, so he and Uma God are talking and he says, if the gods are making this path for me, then where's my free will? No, it cannot be. Ah, Uma got brightened at this thorny theological point. I have had another thought on such fates that denies neither gods nor men. Perhaps instead of controlling every step, the gods have started a hundred or a thousand Kazareels and Umagats down this road, and only those arrive who choose to. Hmm. But I'm, am I the first to arrive or the last? Well, Umagat said, Dryly, I can promise you're not the first. (laughs) (laughs) But it's that thing of, um, I had never thought about it from that point of view of, oh, maybe a hundred different people have been kind of nudged in the same direction. 
who follows it through. Right, right. Who gives up, who gets distracted, who, you know, dies or something. Um, who makes it? Right, right. Now, that's not the way we think about it. Mm-hmm. But it's actually a legitimate way to think. There's nothing that yeah, says it, that God I mean, has it's, to have it's only not, one person to do something. Right. It's not that far. I mean, because it is like, you know, it's up to us to to act on our promptings. Right. Yeah. And, a, and a lot of people do not. A lot of people don't even hear them, you know. Yeah. Or they, they make no attempt to uh, follow that. Um, so, yeah. So, you can imagine, you know, if <laughs> something needs done, there, there may be... A lot of people that uh, are sort of uh, prompted to be or be whatever it is that's needed. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of those may not listen. Yeah. So. Exactly. They may yeah. not come to fruition at all. So that yeah, was an interesting, interesting way at looking at free will. And I loved the thing about how the gods make themselves powerless because even a slave can exclude them from his heart. Hmm. Yeah, that was nice. Yes, and that is exactly the Christian understanding of God and each human being. Mm -hmm. You are perfectly free to turn away. Yeah. To ignore, to say you don't exist. God is the gentleman. God's waiting. He puts the invitation out there and he does it repeatedly. But he's mm-hmm. not going to force you. Right. Yep. That's right. So, I... Yeah, I and, then, and I, I liked as well, um, just below that, uh, a saint is not a virtuous soul, but an empty one, right? Mm, did you read mm-hmm. this part? I don't think you, you did. Um, he or she freely gives the gift of their will to their God. Yeah. And renouncing action makes action possible. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And that's what I meant by, you know, it's also true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It made me wonder if she was Christian or, you know, she, you certainly feel like she has some deep understanding of religion from yeah, this. Yeah, no question. I, I don't know um, what her religious affiliation is if she yeah. has one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and she may not. She may mm-hmm. just, like I say, she may just be honest enough to kind of have looked at all this and Certainly, there are thousands of years in all these various religions of uh, will to pull from. But I would say the first thing that kind of makes you as a Christian perk up your ears is very, very early on. And it's when Kazaril is doing the prayer for the dead for the man who was doing the death wish mm. up early, the death magic. And he says um, he didn't know who the god would or who the guy was affiliated with so he prayed to each of them each <laughs> yeah. of the gods and he said all offerings must be one's best even if all one could offer was words or had to offer was words and so he asked for mercy from each of the gods and he says mercy high ones not justice please not justice we would be all fools to pray for justice <laughs> wow yeah. And that's and I thought, yeah, oh man, isn't that the truth? Mm-hmm. I do not want justice. And in fact, when we're mad at somebody, we want justice from up for that person. We want give them justice because we know that's a hard thing. Right, right. And you have to have the justice and the mercy. But yeah. we ourselves should remember we have to ask for mercy. Yeah. Hmm. Good point. Yep. Love it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, not too long after that, you know, he continues to talk about saints. 
Um, but I really liked the gods don't write letters of instruction, you know, <laughs> not yes. even to their saints. I've suggested it in my prayers, sat by the hour with ink drying on my quill entirely at his service. And what does he send instead? An overexcited crow with a one word vocabulary. <laughs> and yet that was what he needed, right? It's just like right. he didn't recognize it at the time. And he's like, oh, oh, gosh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. And I loved how um, how the whole death magic thing happened. Um, you know, so so Casaril uh, expects to die, and he performs this death magic against the guy who wants to marry this princess. Mm-hmm. So he's sacrificing himself for the princess, and um, then he wakes up after it's over, yeah. and he's like, "What? What happened? You know." Um, and he, he has no idea if what he did worked. He doesn't expect that it worked because he's alive. And because he's alive, he has failed. Yeah. So, But he's in rough shape. He's, he's really uh, sick. Yeah. So now they, you know, he gets back to his room and everything. And when he gets back to his room, he finds out that it worked. Yeah. The guy, guy that he directed it at has died. And uh, everybody knows that it's death magic, and they're all looking for the other corpse. And he's like, you know, and they're trying to figure out what happened. Well, did uh, somebody else do it at the same time? Because Uh, the brother bursts in there like, oh, you're alive. Yeah. did it. (laughs) Right. Yeah, they're looking all over for who did it. And and, and I love just the effects of what happened after that. He, he, from that point, you know, he's, he's contacted this sacred right so now suddenly he's got this sight that he hasn't had before but then we yes. find out later that inside him is the soul of the person he killed and the demon that came to collect it right and they're like encapsulated in his <laughs> abdomen yes and um he's dealing with that for the rest of the book yeah because whenever he's asleep is when the ghost comes awake or at mm. nighttime. He yeah. doesn't have to be asleep, but uh, the ghost comes awake and starts screaming things. And as time goes by, he's like, "Oh, I can understand more and more of it. This is terrible, and it's getting louder and louder, and I can't sleep." Mm. And he's afraid that they're going to break out and take him over. Yeah, um, yeah, because he doesn't. Nobody knows about it, you know. Right. And there's nothing. And he this can is do. not typical. This isn't what happens. So it's Mm-mm. it's like you know nobody knows, and um, this stuff that he can see now, he can see who's cursed. He can see that the princess has some black on her. Um, and mm-hmm. he can see in the saint, um, Umagat, he can see that the guy's a saint by looking at him. You know, there's yeah, this glow. Yeah, there's this glow. And the glow is the color that's connected to whichever god they're a saint of. Right. And there's only like three people in this whole town that he knows of that have that sight. And the saint is one of them. And the saint sort of he's the guy who tells him what's going on. This is what's happening to you. And this is what and, you can see. And then not only that, but he is himself. Kazaril is so brightly glowing yeah. that he's hard to even be next to for yeah. a person that can see. That was the thing I liked is the yeah. two, pe- the two other people who can see this are both like, Oh man, I'm almost blinded by you. And oh everybody who has that second sight essentially has that problem yeah. around him. Right. Yeah. So yeah, and so yeah. It's a, his job is not yet done. He's got this, and so they're finally like, "Well, this is a sending of you know whoever it is, whichever mm-hmm. god, 
this is how they solved this problem. They need you alive for a while longer. They need you alive to do something. Yeah. And I thought yeah. that was just awesome. Yeah. So now, yeah. So now you've got all this politics stuff going on and, and the, uh, the princess is now like, okay, this is really happening, you know, and, and she rises to the occasion and she's like, okay, this is um, the situation. And what we need to do is get me married to somebody who can help me rather than, uh, you know, do what these guys want, which is not yeah, helping she's, me. Yeah. She's yeah. thinking politically and Kazareel mm-hmm. is thinking if you marry out of the family, essentially mm-hmm. the curse will be lifted yeah. because they find out the story of the curse and it comes from the grandfather, great grandfather, whatever, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And the, um, Kings, the current King's wife also has this smudge of this curse so they know if you marry into the family, you pick up the curse. So the idea mm-hmm. is if she marries out of the family, she'll lose it. So, um, but she, yeah, she's thinking very shrewdly and politically. And she also was praying for deliverance mm-hmm. at the time he was doing his death prayer without realizing they were synchronized on it. Yeah. yeah. So she gets the story out of him and um, is in full sympathy with everything he's going through. But they start, yeah, they start working together, and she does come into her own. She becomes this really vivid, intelligent um, woman who is, at the same time, depending on him for good advice so she can kind of consider everything. Yeah. It's neat to see her kind of suddenly blossom like that. It was. It was cool. And Mm -hmm. then he he, um, becomes even weaker physically. Yeah. Right? He's still got all of his mental faculties, but now he, you know, for him to be in a fight is is a really difficult thing. So it's like he's supposed to be protecting her in a way, and he can't, you know. And it's just that was a really cool thing that was going on. Um, well, and also the fact that he's supposed to be protecting her. Luckily, they have a good friend of his come into the story about mm-hmm. them because he also <laughs> yeah. has to leave. He's the only person she'll trust to be the diplomatic person yeah. extending this marriage offer. And that was really cool. So she's decided yeah. to marry this this guy who's in a different state or whatever you want to call province it. Or, yeah, yeah, province or whatever. And uh, so Kazaril needs to go there and make this deal. Um, yeah, because the father is a formidable force. Right. And it's not something they could just send anybody to go do. She needed yeah. to send somebody that she trusted to sign the, sign the document like, you know, as if that's what they were doing. But she needed to, someone that she could give that authority to and trust 100%. Yeah. Not he to could, do that. He was negotiating on her behalf. Yeah. So. And I loved that too. I mean, and um, gosh, I mean, there's just so many cool moments. But but one, uh, so he's negotiating with this guy they call the Fox. Mm-hmm. And his son is who is going to get married. And the fox tries to buy him off. And uh, gosh, I love that scene. That was great. <laughs> yeah. And he tries to buy him off. And he's like, no. You know, and he said, you know, uh, you know, I'm dying. I've got this tumor inside me, um, which is that, you know, the demon and the, the soul. Or mm-hmm. there's like a physical manifestation of it in his gut. And, um, but that was a super good scene. But there, there, there's a scene, you know, once they make the agreement and, the, and his son will marry her, they start to travel back. And uh, they're in a small party. They're pretending to be merchants so that nobody knows who they are. And they're headed back to where the princess is um, to finalize this agreement and get married. 
And um, there's a chapter, it's chapter 23. I read this chapter twice because <laughs> I loved it so much. It was like I finished it and then I, had, I was stopping reading for the day. And the first mm-hmm. thing I did is I read it again because I thought it was so, I just loved it. This is one where they come to the inn. This is where they, they come to the inn. And yeah. well, what happens is they're riding along and they're, they're just coming through some snow. And a, a writer comes from the other direction and said, I'm from this castle. Oh, I was right. told uh, by my lord to offer you uh, shelter for the night because there's a storm on the way and it should be over tomorrow. And uh, so they they discuss it, you know, and even even the young man, you know, the prince uh, talking to Kazarill, I really liked that stuff, too, because he's yeah. like, Kaz, do you think this is a trap? And Kazarill is like, well, we kind of need it. We need this shelter. So let's see what happens. And then they get to this little spot where they're going to uh, stop for a minute. And a ghost appears to Kazarill. I mean, there's several ghosts, actually. And he, they're like, something's happened here. So, you know, warning, you know, alarms or whatever. And yeah. then Kazarill says, uh, this is a trap. Get ready. And it's like they pass that word down the line. And I just love that, you know. Mm-hmm. So they're all ready. And then um, the ghosts are like pointing out everybody that's hiding. Yes. You know, so he's like, oh my gosh, you know, the, our odds are not terrific here. And plus, he's he's sick. He can't hardly lift a sword. Mm-hmm. And um, then they end up in this fight. And uh, well, But he and had also, been able to alert everybody. Someone is there who is um, the head guy for the his enemy. Yeah. Uh, yep. Is there directing right. them to fight him. Yep. So and they were setting this up specifically to catch him. Exactly. Kazarill. Right. And, and then, in fact, Casarill has to fight that guy. Yeah, and kill the the yeah. man who was going to marry Isel. So Casarill right. has to fight him. Yeah, and that's the point where it's totally by accident, really, that, I yeah. mean, you know, he trips on a pearl <laughs> that a ghost uh, has swung toward the the guy who's hiding. It's mm-hmm. his, his The sword tip goes up like this. <laughs> but what happens is then the death demon – drinks essentially i guess the soul of the guy who he kills yeah and um says oh so the death demon wasn't fussy whose souls filled its buckets just as long as there were two of them right like casreels and dondos uh mm. casreels and some other killer or victim he wasn't sure if it even mattered yeah uh, I, I, I thought so. it was super effective how it affects casreel all this stuff is happening and how he realizes what's happening. And, Mm -hmm. and he's just like, you know, vomiting. He's, I mean, he's physically a mess throughout all this stuff. And, um, yeah, I just thought it was so well done. Yeah, no, it was Mm -hmm. because then the ghosts are pointing out, um, and trapped, uh, uh, that would die. Otherwise, if they'd have just left without them, where the bodies are, where all this kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that chapter really hit me more this time than the first time I read it. It's yeah, really I just good. thought it was cool more than anything else. I just thought, wow, that was really great. And then uh, when I picked it up again, I read it again because I thought, oh, yeah, that's neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It'd be really yeah. good in a, in a film, in a movie, you know. Would. Yeah, Definitely. I always like those moments, you know, where where a character realizes something's going to happen before it happens and can act first. That, that's always satisfying. <laughs> it's like, yeah, awesome. Well, yeah, and when they're learning 
learning something in your time, you're both like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Yep. After also, the princess is Bergeron, is that how you say his name? Bergeron? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. the prince. Um, mm-hmm. So they're married, and he's like, oh, thank goodness I got it done. It's all fine. And they had to come up against these incredible odds because people are having to hide the fact that they're getting married and they have to get married super fast so that the opposition doesn't come in and stop it. And I, lo- all these I loved that too. He's like calculating, okay, we're going to get married the day after tomorrow. How much time does that give these guys to arrive? None at all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's good. Yeah. And so what happens though, is he wakes up and he sees him and he's like, Oh no, this didn't get rid of her curse. Yeah. He brought him into the curse. Ugh. <laughs> So he's still got the same problem to deal with, except now here's this wonderful young man and woman who were already predisposed to like each other. And that was really sweet, too, mm-hmm. I thought, um, is they already liked the idea of each other. They were both ready to do it. And then after, he says, um, after that night together, they looked like a couple in love. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I was like, oh, I like that. you know. So they're going to yeah. go on well together. You get that feeling. And he goes, but now what's going to happen? They're going to be vastly unlucky in their children. Wow. Yep. You know, these Mm -hmm. horrible things are going to happen. The whole of their scheme for peace and order rode upon the hope of a strong, bright air to follow them both. They would pour themselves until empty into children, miscarried, dead, mad, exiled, betrayed. Mm. And then he says, I'd storm heaven for you if I knew where it was. And it says he knew where it was. It was on the other side of every living person, every living creature, as close as the other side of a coin, the other side of a door. Every soul was a potential portal to the gods. I wonder what would happen if we all opened up at once. Would it flood the world with miracle, drain heaven? And so basically what he says is, I'll do it. You know, what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. Could I do it? And um, I can't remember where... Um, four or five. Okay, so not uh, just a couple pages later. Um, but I liked that realization. What would happen if we all opened up and did God's will mm-hmm. the way we're supposed to? Yeah. And that idea of would it drain heaven? Would all the miracles happen here? You know, and it's like, is this what it was like after Pentecost? Oh wow! All those people yeah. were open. Mm-hmm. Five thousand souls converted. That you know, after hearing Peter talk. That's right. That kind of thing. Um, uh huh. This is where everything happens. So then right after that, they're being attacked. Um, Things are happening. It's bad. And so he says, um, it wasn't a case of storming heaven. It was a case of letting heaven storm you. Into your hands, O lords of light, I commend my soul. Do what you must to mend the world. I am at your service. And then the lords, the gods use him. Yeah. Um, and he knows he's going to die. And, and what was needed to break the curse is somebody who would die three times mm-hmm. for the family or for somebody in the family. And it had been tried to be forced before by, um, you know, people who cared and it didn't work. And um, <laughs> he's like, well, I can't die three times. But of course, he's sacrificing himself as much as he can. And the way that the miracle is written about that's the thing i read several times Mm. the first time i read the book Mm -hmm. it's um the way she describes his perception changing 
It says his mind exploded. You know, he opened outward and outward and outward still till all the world lay below him as if seen from a high mountain. But not the realm of matter. This was a landscape of soul stuff. Colors he could not name of a shattering brilliance bore him up upon a glorious turbulence. He could hear all the minds of the world whispering, a sighing like a wind in the forest, if one could but distinguish simultaneously and separately the song of each leaf. And it goes on like that. And you're just mm. going, yeah, it's just enough to convey the wonder and the miracle of what it is he's experiencing without having to get down to the nitty gritty. So I felt like it did a really good job of like lifting you out of the battle he was in. Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, he says um, he'd once thought of the Lady of Spring as a sort of pleasant, gentle young woman in his vague and youthful conceptualizations the divines and ordal had honed it scarcely further than to a mental picture of a nice immortal lady Mm. (laughs) this overwhelming mind capital m listened to every cry or song in the world at once she watched the souls spiral up in all their terrible complex beauty with the delight of a gardener inhaling the scent of her flowers and now this mind turned her attention fully upon casareel and i thought Mm. Isn't that true? Um, not that I've ever been like one of the saints who sees God or anything, but you do kind of fall into the habit if you're not careful of thinking of God as well. He's a nice guy. Oh, sure. You know, yeah. He's mm-hmm. out there. I can, I, I don't have time to pray today. He doesn't care. It's fine. Yeah. And then you have those moments where you're fully in the right place, I guess you could say. Um, as I think Umagat would say, you know, your soul was cupped to the right way to receive God. Right, yeah. And you have those touches and you go, this is so much more than I can imagine, and it's not this nice, pleasant God. It's a real, vital, living being. Um, He's, I don't know, it takes you into that place of awe and incomprehension at the same time that she's writing about here mm-hmm. yeah amazing you know just overpowering you know and and i liked how you know there was a little bit of book left after what you're describing and um he was strugg- struggling to describe it to people for the rest of the book you know mm-hmm. he's like uh, i need uh, somebody give me some paper <laughs> i need to write <laughs> you know he's trying to write it in poetry because he has no way to describe what happened and uh and he's really kind of it's almost like he's kind of half crazy because he's still trying to hang on to it and communicate it but no one understands it yeah and so his poetry is funny and like beatrice leans over him and he's like her nose why haven't i written an ode to her nose it's the most <laughs> oh look at this pebble yeah this pebble is amazing <laughs> <laughs> You're just going, oh. <laughs> it was oh. so funny, but at the same time, so real, you know? Yeah, 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 just great, <laughs> just great, yeah. I did love it. Yeah, and I loved, uh, you know, while this stuff was happening, really shortly after what you read, um, you know, the lady whispers to him, you know, and now to work, open to mm-hmm. me. And then he says, can I watch? And she said, whatever you can bear is permitted. You yeah. know, it, that's just really powerful. Yeah. You know, and it just feels true in a way, you know. And I, I, I agree. And I also did love that um, when he's watching her draw the curse off 
and lifting it from everywhere. And it says, she spun it out again through Kazareel. As it twisted through him into the other realm, its darkness fell away. And then he wasn't sure if it was a thread or a stream of bright, clean water or wine or something even more wonderful. And I thought, oh, that's a really beautiful image for the fact that of course, this is all, you know, lifting the curse and blah, blah, blah. But mm. um, it's this idea that when God uses you, something is produced more than you could have ever done yourself. But it's something bright and wonderful that you're part of, even mm. though you couldn't have initiated it. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I love that thought. And, you know, th- this this book makes you think a lot about prayer, you know, mm-hmm. and, and what you do, uh, what we do when we pray and things. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's I've been in discussions where... You know, you talk about, well, you know, God knows everything that happens and, um, you know, are we changing God's mind with our prayers, you know, and, or are we somehow participating in uh, some divine plan, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Um, It's just fascinating to think about. And um, this book kind of brings out those thoughts to my mind. Yeah. And, you know, I hadn't connected this until you were saying that, but it made me think on Pints with Aquinas, Matt. I think it was Matt Fred. Matt Fred, yeah. Yeah. I think it was there that, or maybe it was something I was reading. Now I can't remember, but I think it was him who was saying something like, um, St. Thomas was saying, you know, are you changing God's mind? Are you doing this or that with your prayers? And St. Thomas said, well, you know, we don't know. Maybe the situation is such that your prayers are what tip the balance, that the whole situation is set up such that, someone's prayers are what's needed to make it happen. Mm. And your prayers are the ones that make it work. Yeah. Um, and so, therefore, it's like Kazareel here. Your participation is required. Yeah. You know, and so I like that idea of, you know, God's like, ah, excellent, you joined in. Mm-hmm. This is what we were waiting for. Yeah, this participation in the, the divine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can't see it. We don't have that second side. Right, right. And not only that, but, you know, this, you know, it may be cliche now, but, you know, just to say, you know, we don't know what the best thing is, right? So, yes. sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't see the results of that till later. Um, and yeah. sometimes it's very clear and it's striking. Sometimes when you look back and you're like, wow, how did I not see that? <laughs> There's mm. that path I was yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, but... And, and sometimes you never know. Yeah. We may find out when we die. Right. Someone comes up right. and says, hey, those prayers, you know. Because mm-hmm. you don't have to remember them or think about them necessarily in terms of them being, um, you know, so heartfelt all the time. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you, but, you, you know, I get prayer requests for things and I stop and I say the prayer, but I don't have to remember it and think about it and worry about it. Yeah. That prayer is gone. Mm-hmm. If it comes back to my mind, then I'll pray about it some more. I'll figure, oh, well, then, you know. Like last night, I was at my book club, and a friend said, oh, so how is this person doing, This your Scottish friend who you asked us to pray for a long time ago? Her family was giving her trouble about coming back into the church. And I went, what? <laughs> she goes, you know, your Scottish friend. And I was like, I don't think I have a Scottish friend. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well... It was a long time ago, and I said, you know, for all I know, that may be a prayer request I got through a blog or through mm. an acquaintance, so it wasn't really a friend, but I brought it up in shared prayer that day. Yeah. And I yeah. said, but I had said my prayer, so then I didn't think about it again. Mm-hmm. I didn't have it written down anywhere. 
And she said, that's really funny because that person comes to my mind all the time. And then I say a prayer for them. And I said, well, clearly you're the one who's supposed to be praying for them. (laughs) I passed it along. (laughs) Thanks for handling that for me. (laughs) Wow. And she was just laughing going, oh my gosh, this is so funny. She goes, I think that's what happened. Hmm. I said, because I have zero memory of that. How about that? Yeah. I know. Wow. So, it got to somebody who would remember it. For sure. Yeah. And that's that mystery. Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, love Um, it. Another thing that I really liked about this is, um, we haven't really talked, and there's not a lot to say about this character, but Oriko, I guess is how you'd say it. Oh, the king? Yeah. Who? Isn't he the the king? king? Yep. Yeah, the king. Mm -hmm. Who is a very, very passive person. He's known about the curse since he became king or whatever age his father told him about it. And he tried to work against the curse in ways that were really reprehensible, um, considering his wife and having a child and all this kind of thing. But what happened is he finally came down to the point of just trying to keep himself alive and the curse at bay long enough for other people to do work like his chancellor who is Mm. essentially a corrupt person. So, you know, the Royal Menagerie is set up because these animals spending time with these animals helps lift the curse some and, you know, bad things won't happen to his kingdom as much because there's nothing he can do about it. He's tried. And it's very frustrating for everybody in the book who's trying to make something happen. And he's like, no, this person had a stronger personality. So I agreed with them Mm. and I'm not changing it. I'm not going to meet you. I'm going to just run away now. But at the end of the book, Umagat, I think, and Kazaril are talking about him. And they say, you know what? I start to see that what he went through in enduring that curse the way he did was a noble sacrifice. Huh. You know? Yeah. He didn't kill himself. He didn't um, hurt other people to try and do anything about it. He, you know, he was just simply suffering. Mm and taking it on for the nation. Yeah, you know, that that's a mirror kind of to how Kazarel is treated by people looking at him and making that assumptions. Oh, that's a you good know? point. So, yeah, so Oriko is, you know, we see him in a certain light, and later on we say, oh my gosh, he was actually mm-hmm. silently suffering this whole time. Yeah, I have Everybody's got something that. going on, don't they? In life, too. Everybody's mm-hmm. got their own struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what we're supposed to see Christ in everybody, right? And, you know, that yeah. gets maybe a, a glimmer of light to what that means. Yeah, exactly. Because mm. he got no credit for anything. Yeah. And yeah. at the end, only his wife loved him. Mm-hmm. And she'd been through horrible things, too. Yeah. Because of that curse. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What a great book. Well, and when I was looking at reviews on Goodreads, I saw somebody there, I think, who said they read this book every year for inspiration. Oh, wow. And I thought, I could actually see that because I know that I finished it probably on a Saturday, Friday or a Saturday. And when I was listening to the homily at whatever mass was I was going to on Sunday, there were echoes of this, you know, because as I was saying, to me, a lot of this rings so true in how God deals with us and how we do or don't open ourselves up to Him. And it was really 
interesting to have things being said that were really very good in the homily and then have it kind of echo off in a different way for mm-hmm. reflection through this book. Yeah, I, I agree with that. There are all kinds of places where I thought, oh, wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked where it sent my thoughts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a good thing to be reminded of this stuff. Yeah. In a from a different point of view, you know. Right, right. So now you were saying, and so that makes me think of the fact that you were telling somebody about this book, and they were like, "Aren't oh. you afraid to read about magic?" Yeah, they were just talking about magic, you know. And I've I've come across that sometimes, you know, where, um, you know, uh, fantasy uh, gives some people they make it makes some people nervous about mm-hmm. you know like uh, the Harry Potter stuff especially. You know, yeah. I've had a lot of people say, you know, oh, you, we shouldn't read that, you know, because it, it turns people towards magic or being witches. Or I'm, I don't, I'm not actually sure what the concern is, to be honest. Um, but because yeah, I don't know people who read Harry Potter or this book and think, oh, now I want to do magic. Yeah, I, I don't either. I don't under, I don't quite that. understand that. And the, and the other thing is, I think that what uh, science fiction and fantasy do you know what we, we talk about you know the glimpses of reality that we find right that's right. that's what we do in this podcast because this stuff all comes from somewhere you know and right. and it's all you know shadows or or reflections of um what the truth is yeah and when when i read something like this you know when you talk about like the five gods and this religion um what it makes you think of is well what what about this is like what we do and what about this is not like what we do? And both of those thoughts are worthy thoughts to be having. It's, and, um, you know, science fiction itself, when you, when you back up and you, you can create a race that's not a human race, it allows you to look at humanity differently yeah. as a whole, which you can't do in general fiction. I don't know how you would do it, but you, you sort of, pull away and only in the pulling away can you see things differently and it's the same way here you know well it had to have been very interesting for lois master bujol to create this religion and Mm -hmm. clearly it was inspired by her experience her thoughts you know the things that she's gone through and clearly she has a fairly good understanding of christianity Mm -hmm. and um in in that, I imagine she was examining those things herself, and uh, you know that that's what she was doing, and and uh, it, it makes you consider things from a different perspective, and that's always helpful. Yeah, and I think it really comes down to because, as you're saying, it's always <laughs> in science fiction and fantasy generally about. What does it show us about ourselves? And most books are that way. I mean, sometimes it's just a jolly good adventure. But it's how the characters ring true or don't ring true. Mm -hmm. And so, it it really kind of, in this book, and I think a lot of them, it's the thing of events may be horrible or inescapable. Men always have a choice. If not whether, then how they may endure. And it's in watching how everybody comes up against this stuff. So, yeah, there's magic. Who's using it and how? Mm -hmm. What's it being used for? I mean, it's Kazareel's character that allows him to die those three deaths without ever realizing what he's doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, once, well, twice, the last, the two times, he's giving it up 
as a sacrifice of himself, because he's determined that Isel's going to have this chance, the first time he didn't even know about. Yeah. And it's only something that happened later that made that into one of the deaths that was um, counted as the three deaths. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see anything dangerous to it, and you know, it, it, you know, especially, you know, that you know, mythology all the time, mythology mm-hmm. uh, everywhere. You know, these are all uh, shadows and reflections of the truth. Yeah, and anybody can take something and uh, misunderstand it or twist it around based on something yeah. that's not true. But, and for the general part, it's fine. Right. You know, yeah. that's my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. Obviously, because mm-hmm. here we are. Look at the things we've read. And watched. <laughs> yeah, and this is that's really what this podcast is. You know, it, right. it's like when we first started to talk about it. It was, I think it's the, the leaving of your, your uh, worldview behind when you read things, I think is uh, not good. So, yeah. you know, you watch a movie and you just, you know, accept that and not critically think about it. Like, well, how does that match? You know, how does that death curse match what, you know, my feelings are? You know, I, it, it was a wrong thing to do. You know, he, he maybe he shouldn't be doing a death curse. You know, uh, um, but and he knew it was the wrong thing. And he to knew do. it was the wrong thing to do. He as tried he was everything. doing, right? Exactly. So, uh, you know, it, thou shalt not kill, right? Right. So, but in the plan, it wound up being the right thing. Yeah, which was you know one of those amazing things. It's like you know we were constantly saying you know that when bad things happen, sometimes good things come out of it. Yeah, and we see that happen, and it is that. God approving of the bad thing? I don't think it is. Yeah. You know? Well, and actually, um, what's interesting is you make me think of another thing from the book, which is the chancellor dies, and there's always a ceremony, and we see several of them during this book, of taking the body um, for um, the funeral and a representative of each of the five gods with the animal that represents the god show up, and whichever animal goes up to the body is the God that's accepting the soul of that person, mm. which is, I think, an interesting point. Yeah, yeah. But um, so later, Kazaril says to Isel, so what about the chancellor? And she goes, oh, I'm so disgusted. The father took him. I, uh, he didn't deserve it. And, and, we go, and he goes, well, you know, who knows? He goes, but I can tell you this, the, the, that guy's younger brother who was the really evil one who'd been against him and was going to marry Isel and be awful and everything, he goes – He's in the bastard's hell. I know that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and she's like, oh, thank goodness for that, you know. <laughs> so, uh-huh. um, even so, even there, you know, the God shows mercy to that chancellor. And she's like, oh, just makes me sick. He doesn't deserve it. Mm-hmm. Well, she doesn't know everything. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about we have to pray for mercy and not justice. Right, right. And I thought it was interesting that the author allowed that. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And these are the thoughts that things like this give us. Yeah. Right. It, it's yeah, it's allowing exactly. us to examine things. Yeah. Because our filter is our Catholic faith and mm-hmm. therefore everything's getting looked at through that. And if you're looking at it um, that way, then you've got an extra kind of, maybe it's a, you want to consider it a layer of protection if mm-hmm. you're thinking about it right. So Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. yeah for right. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. But it's worthwhile, says me. 
Oh, it's such a great adventure. Mm-hmm. You do not have to be Catholic at all. You don't have to be religious at all. My mother is not. She loved mm-hmm. this book. Great. And plenty of people, you know, obviously, if it was nominated for, it won awards and was nominated for awards. It's, it's a great, great adventure. And the fact that the theological part is so interesting to us is just because it's so logically honest. Mm. And that's a book anybody wants to read. The yeah. politics seem logically honest, too, So, and I don't care about politics. Yeah, and you know what's funny? Yeah, we haven't mentioned this yet, but apparently it is based on... Oh, yeah. Um, it says here, I'm, I'm on Wikipedia, uh, Chalion is a looking-glass version of the Kingdom of Castile and Leon, and the novel is loosely based on the lives of Isabella I of Castile and Ferdinand II of Aragon, the unifiers yeah. of Spain. Yeah. Yeah, that's another interesting aspect of what was said, you know, as they were trying to convince people that this is what they wanted to do. I remember Cazarill talking to the fox and Mm -hmm. he says, this isn't about you. This isn't about your son. This is like setting something up for your grandchildren. Right. You know, so it's like, yeah, we're we're looking at the future here and, um, you know, people... I think it takes a little effort for people to think that way. Yeah, because the representatives of Chalion who come to see about this marriage after everybody's, um, it's it's happening, and they go, oh, we thought you gave away our country, but you didn't. You created an empire that we are part of. And they were like, we're on board with that. Yeah. But it's, yeah, look at the effort that took place for that to happen, because that's a new way of thinking. Yeah, Instead, because he's, he's thinking you know, for us, bigger picture. Right, he's thinking selfishly, and he's like, "No, this isn't about you. Yeah, this is about the future." Yeah. And even when Isel was trying to pick out who would be the best candidate to consider for marriage, in terms of, you know, she didn't want anybody, of course, too old or whatever. And but she kept going. She kept saying, "I need to get Orico, her brother, the king. I need to get him a seaport. This is not going to do him any good." Or she was also thinking of her. Um, brother who would succeed the king and going that's not going to help him i they don't they don't have a seaport we need a seaport Mm, who can i ally with Mm -hmm. who's going to do the best advantage and it turns out it's winding up doing her the advantage because they're ruling together but she didn't know that she was thinking of the kingdom first right right heck yeah yep good stuff yeah yep was good. Love it. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm, I'm looking really forward to the book too. I'm yeah. so glad I reread it. So mm-hmm. now I need to go get that second one. Cool. It's just waiting for me. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And that one's told from Ista's point of view. Oh, which is Ista. Okay. Which is mother. Is it a prequel? No. It okay. It follows where this ends. Really? Yeah. Because I picked it up and. Because Ista is pretty old, right? Well, she's maybe Kazareel's age. 35, okay. 40. Okay. Well, I guess maybe she's a little older because Isel mm. is 16, but Isel's yeah. only 16. Right. Okay. So if you're having a, if you're 20 or so and having a child and your child's 16, you're not, yeah. you're not that much older. And so, um, mm. but she, we didn't ever mention her in this book, but she's considered to be crazy and she's always kept with attendants watching her and everything. And yeah. she actually had encounters with the gods too. Mm-hmm. And she awesome. would talk about it. <laughs> and that was the problem is no one understood what she was saying until Kazareel showed up and she, they went, oh, my goodness, this is such a relief to talk to someone who knows what you're talking about. <laughs> Which we also yeah. understand. We do, right. You know, That's you don't talk stuff. 
you don't talk like you're Catholic if uh-huh. you're in a crowd of people who you don't know who they are. Yeah. Um, and even then, you want to make sure what kind of Catholics are you? Uh-huh. Um, sometimes. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. uh, that's the end of the book. They're talking. And he gives her a prophecy, which he didn't know he was going to say it. So, mm-hmm. it's a true prophecy. And I was disappointed when I picked it up and it was telling her story or the story from her point of view. But it is such a great book. I cool. soon did not care. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah, really good. Great. Yeah. All right. Looking forward to that. Well, sometime, right. maybe. You bet. Have to reread it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Okay. How so? What's so next? Where are we at? What's next? Ah, The World's End is next. Oh. <laughs> We've okay. got to complete the Cornetto trilogy. Yes. The we World's never End. did that, did we? We never did, yeah. Starring Simon Pegg. Yeah. So, fun. And, and a really different that. one. For I mean... Yep. It's funny because it's the same, but it's different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yeah. Anyway, right. Well, good. I'm looking forward to it. You bet. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Yeah. Thanks and happy new year. And mm-hmm. we'll talk to you again soon. All right. right, Will do. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. All.